I invite you to turn in your Bible or on your device, or you'll also find it on page in your bulletin, James 4. It's the second from last page in our bulletin. As you turn to James 4, I want to read a quote from J.C. Ryle. Listen. Of all sin, there is none against which we have such need to watch and pray as pride. It is a pestilence that walks in darkness, a sickness that destroys at noonday. No sin is so deeply rooted in our nature as pride. Ryle says pride is our number one enemy. It's our worst sin. And he compares it, did you hear that, to a creeping pestilence. Do we think of pride this way? Like a super infector societal sickness. How much time do we spend each week checking for its symptoms in our life? It wasn't that long ago that folks here would freak out anytime someone coughed or sneezed. A year and a half ago, I remember getting a sore throat and being very, very anxious. I made an appointment for the pharmacy drive through to go get a COVID test fearing that I may have exposed my immune-deficient mother-in-law to COVID. A positive test could have meant her harm, even her death. Yet J.C. Ryle here just says there's a deadlier pandemic that's been unleashed on humanity, the pandemic of pride. The Bible teaches that God created the first man and the first woman very good, the pinnacle of creation. But the devil, desiring to be like God, came to our first parents as a serpent. And in Genesis 3, he breathed out the pestilence of pride. He said, you will be like God. And our parents inhaled the deception. They grasped for greatness, taking the only thing God had ever said no to. And with this, they initiated the greatest super spreader event in human history infecting each and every human being. Pride has been wreaking havoc on us, our families, our friends, our neighbors ever since. That is why in James 4, we discover we have a doctor's appointment. Dr. James has some questions for us. These questions are his test to see if we are positive, if we test positive, for any of the symptoms that would show us that we are infected with pride. Are you ready for your exam? Yes. yes. Now hear the word of our God from James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. 
but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to this, your word, and we want to be changed. We want to be set free from the infection of pride, this sin that continues, Lord, to work in each and every one of our hearts and causes us to do things that do not show our love for you or for our neighbor. We pray that you'll set us free through the power of your word, through the power of your spirit. So be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you've watched much TV at all, you know that medical dramas are regular staples on television in every genre. From the comedies I grew up with, MASH, to Scrubs, which is a newer one. You have the long-running soap opera, General Hospital. And now you have Chicago Med and ER. These are popular dramas. But I think arguably the best was the medical drama House. House. Yeah. So ever seen House? Yeah. Because it has this most interesting character, Dr. Gregory House. Why was he so intriguing? Well, he's very antisocial. <laughs> That's an understatement. Plus, he has a crippled leg and an opioid addiction. But what really draws viewers into his character is his unique ability to diagnose his patients by noticing subtle signs often overlooked by everybody else on the medical staff. House's ability to discern a patient's true ailment was absolutely incredible. I offered this illustration because I think it would be fitting to call our apostle Dr. James here in chapter 4 because he likewise has a diagnostic ability to see not our physical but our spiritual condition. James can see the signs and put his finger on what is exactly going on in our hearts, our heart condition. Dr. James here in chapter 4 calls us into his office and begins to examine us. He says right off the bat, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, if this was like the opening verse in the letter of James, I think we'd be quick to say regarding that tiff that we had with a fellow believer on Monday. Well, it was so-and-so's insensitivity. You know, he's a real piece of work at times. Or it's her laziness. She is always on her phone all the time. Dr. James, I'm surrounded by sinners who say they're saints. That's the problem. But we wouldn't say it, would we? Because we spend a lot of time in James, haven't we? And we learned from James last time at the end of chapter 3, there are two operational wisdoms at work in the lives of every person we meet. There's the wisdom that is heavenly from God above. And there's a second wisdom that comes from the earth and is of the devil. And you can tell which is at work by the behaviors on display. Heavenly wisdom was, among other things, peaceable. That's how chapter 3 ended. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
Now, there's no chapter breaks in the original text. Isn't it kind of a bit jolting that James follows up this peace sowing with this question? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, our immediate response now after chapter 3 might be, well, rightly, it's the wisdom of the devil. James, the devil tricked us. But Dr. James starts shaking his head at us right here. <laughs> yes, the devil certainly sows discord. But the devil and our neighbors are not the alone culprits. No, Dr. James looks at our symptoms and he gives you and I the pathology report. Dr. James says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You see, this was an inside job gone global. You have sinister passions produced by the sickness Pride. Pride is the central problem when fights flare up in our own fellowship. Verse 6 will tell us that God opposes the proud, those who are infected by and ruled by pride. James, did you notice? He says, you have prideful passions within you, demanding that you get your way. You have a desire for you to be at the center of the universe. I'm not overstating that. Did you notice how many times James uses the second person pronoun after this initial question? He says, your, you, 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 your, you, you, you. Fourteen times in four verses. James is saying that the quarrels and the fighting start with you, with me. We have a sickness of ego that causes us to fight. It causes us to break apart. And not just us in the world. I grew up listening to the Beatles in high school. They were my favorite band. Do you know what Beatles song I hated the most of all? Yellow Submarine. No, not Yellow Submarine. <laughs> but my, the one I hated the most was the song, I, Me, Mine. It's on their last album. Here's how it ends. I, me, me, mine. I, me, me, mine. I, me, me, mine. I, me, me, mine. All I can hear. I, me, mine. I, me, mine. I, me, mine. Even those tears. I, me, mine. I, me, mine. I, me, mine. No one's frightened of playing it. Everyone's saying it. Flowing more freely than wine. All through your life. I, me, mine. That is how it ended for the great rock band. Musically, it is horrible, which fits the lyrics. An awful song about the unholy trinity of I, me, mine. That is their last recorded track. And it's all about the egocentricity that caused the band to break apart. Now, I know we would expect that from four fellows who forsook the faith. But James is saying it actually remains a headache for the holy. Thankfully, we have a doctor who's able to diagnose the flare-ups that come in the fellowship. Dr. James doesn't want us, as those brought to, war, brought to life by the word of truth, remember chapter 1, to continue as those who are driven by the demonic, who are prodded by our prideful passions. So James diagnoses each underlying unspiritual issue by its symptom. Look at verse 2. You desire and do not have, 
so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Oh, you ask, do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Notice how Dr. James names each passion or problem as evidenced by the symptoms. Problem, you desire and do not have. Symptom, so you murder. Problem, you covet and cannot obtain. Symptom, so you fight and quarrel. Problem, you do not have. Symptom, oh, because you do not ask. Problem, you ask and do not receive. Symptom, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see what he's doing? Each of these symptoms revealed where the old prideful nature has held or has gained the upper hand in your life as a believer. These symptoms reveal places in our heart where selfish ego still resides and reigns. This attitude says, you will have what you want no matter how much it hurts other people. Now, we may take issue to James accusing us of murder. But let me ask you, do you know any people, any folks who would, you know would never ever pick up a weapon, but if looks could kill? We see there is a deadly desire living inside. And notice Dr. James also diagnoses our prayer life. Our first problem being our prayerlessness. You do not have because you do not ask. Why don't we ask? Because we know better than to ask God for that. <laughs> that desire of ours is not about God's will being done, his kingdom coming in our lives or here on earth. Or we have the problem of a prayerful life that's self-centered. Yes, there was a prosperity gospel flourishing in James' day too. Folks so bold in their desire to gain the whole world as to go to God and claim the things that they wanted and should have, and they're not oriented to the kingdom of Christ and his cross. You see, our pride-driven passions cause us to fall off the ditch one of two ways. We either don't pray because God never approved, or we do spill our hearts. And when uh, Joel's transmission reaches heaven's antenna, God tells the angel Gabriel to change the channel because Joel is once again spewing a whole lot of nonsense. Turn it off. I hope we're taking seriously the spiritual sickness inside. Friends, Dr. James says that the results are in. You and I were infected, and there's no natural defense. We're infected from our birth. Our scientists cannot make a vaccine. We cannot build up herd immunity. Pride is destroying us, and pride social distances us from our God. Verse 4. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. <laughs> Let me ask you, did you expect James to say that? Did you, did, you, yeah, did you think our fighting, our selfishness, our prayer patterns reveal we're actually two-timers at heart? This brought a quote to my mind. See if you know where it came from. If truth were everywhere to be shown, a scarlet letter would blaze forth from many a bosom. Anybody remember where that line comes from? What novel? Nope. When I was in high school, I had to read Nathaniel Hawthorne's book, The Scarlet Letter. Mark got it. 
a story about a woman in colonial America named Hester Prynne. Her husband sent her on ahead to settle in America, and while they're apart, she becomes pregnant and gives birth to a daughter. And as a result, the townsfolk of her community shun her and her daughter, and they force Hester to wear a badge of shame on her breast, a scarlet red letter A, indicating she's guilty of adultery. And Hawthorne recognizes by the way the Christian community shamefully treats her that many there ought to have a large red letter A emblazoned on their own person. Not because they're all literally breaking their marriage vows. No. But because they're playing false with God by the way they treat other believers. That's James' point. Now we may say, James, how are my poor relationship with other believers a symptom of spiritual adultery with God. And James would say, Dear one, do you not know your Old Testament? We need to know our Bibles. We need to know the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God repeatedly refers to Israel, his people, as his bride. Read Isaiah, Hosea, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. When God rescued Israel out of Egypt and brought her to Sinai, he calls it the engagement. When Moses sprinkled the people and the bride, he, he, they were promised at that point, we're going to honor and obey God. This is a wedding ceremony. In Jeremiah 2.2, 2, we hear how God saw the wilderness as their honeymoon. <laughs> I remembered the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me into the wilderness in a land not sown. We may say, hold up, <laughs> Israel sure didn't act like they're experiencing a honeymoon in the wilderness. And you're right. But the fact is, they were separate from the world and God was in their midst. And God brought his bride into the promised land. And what did they do when they got there? They made friends with the world and slowly made themselves enemies with God over generation after generation. They began whoring after the idols of other nations under Solomon, actually, as he did the same thing. And you know what happened after they began to step out on God? Under Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the tribes begin fighting, and each basically takes their own toys and returns their own tents. And Israel splits into two, never to be rejoined again. They would rather do their own thing than be in fellowship with each other. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? funny how when Israel had it so good, like Adam and Eve, they had it so good, their hearts turned from God. The forbidden fruit looks so tempting, looks so delicious, so good. Remember chapter 1 of James? James says, each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And this is how adultery works. A married person will see a person of the opposite sex Perhaps there's a locking of eyes and suddenly they find this person to be thrilling and the worldly music begins to play. You take my breath away and the imagination starts. Fortunately, then James hits us with a bucket of cold water. <laughs> Don't be deceived by that temporary pleasure, that temptation. There's a hook on the end of that attractive lure. Any sin conceived from this relationship will birth what? Death. Death. 
And Dr. James shows that the adultery is always connected to the sickness of pride, of pride. When someone commits adultery, they're only focused on themselves and their own needs. You no longer care about your vows because you're completely self-consumed. And as you transition from God-loving to self-interested, you lose all desire to be other-serving. Do you see what's going on here? And left unchecked, what will probably do, it will run the course like cancer. And it quickly spreads to others as well. Now, if you're taking seriously Dr. James as he concludes his examination, as he looks you right in the eye and declares the deadly diagnosis, the question comes to our mind, right? James, is there any cure for my pride? Is there a remedy for my condition? It's killing me. It's ruining others. It's social distancing me from my God. Is there a cure, James? And the answer is yes. And James says to you, what is the cure? It is the jealous grace of Jesus. The jealous grace of Jesus. Verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Now a quick aside here, the translation is tricky. James is actually not quoting an Old Testament text, but rather an Old Testament principle, which is why if you have an NIV, it'll translate it differently. Talk to me afterwards if interested. It's kind of a moot point because you end up with the same remedy either way you go, either translation. The remedy for our pride is the jealous grace of Jesus. We won't find the remedy in ourselves, but thanks be to God, he is a jealous God. God made this known to Israel from the start. When he called them out to the holy mountain, Mount Sinai, he said, For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Exodus 34, 14. And God's jealousy is not the negative jealousy that we see and hear about today. I know we hear that word and we tend to think negatively. No, friends. God's jealousy is a comfort to us who are prone to wander. It keeps us wary of the world and becoming stained. Why? Because we know that God's going to chastise us and bring us back to himself. Spurgeon writes, this is a good quote, Believer, your Lord is jealous of your love. Did he choose you? Then he cannot bear that you would choose another. Did he buy you with his own blood? Then he cannot endure that you would think you are your own or that you belong to this world. He loved you with such a love that he would sooner die and that you perish. He cannot do, endure anything standing between him and your heart's love. I love that quote. God's jealous love is why he sent Jesus to die so that you may not perish in your pride. It's not the cross of Christ where pride was paid for the, was proof of his passion. It was not at the cross of Christ where pride was paid for. Is that not proof of God's passion for you? And there we see at the cross, God's grace in Christ is greater than all of your sin. And he keeps giving more. That's the good point. It's actually why he sent Pastor Joel to preach a word of grace that you belong to Jesus now. You belong to Jesus now. Jealousy is why actually God sends trials your way so that his grace will wean you from worldly dependence. 
God's jealous actions will lead you to trust in him, to lean on him, to depend upon him alone. The jealousy of God is what keeps you and draws you near to him. God's grace is why you're not finding any satisfaction, any lasting fulfillment from all the promises of this world. It's his way of showing his fire-hot, intense, passionate love for you that will never, ever end. I love how Augustine speaks of God's jealous love. Listen to this quote. God loves every one of us as if there were but one of us to love. God loves every one of us as if there were but one of us to love. That, my friends, is the good news. And knowing that the gospel word of grace is what we need, we can then heed Dr. James as he then explains uh, chemotherapy. We've got to go through chemo. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Now, we're going to come back to these verses next time. But I want us to see, I read the whole thing, how it begins and it ends with a call to humility. Do you see that? Along with a promise that this remedy will work at killing your pride. Verses 6 and 7, warning, God opposes the proud, promise, but gives grace to the humble. 4.10, command, humble yourselves before the Lord, promise, and he will exalt you. This is James 4, 6, and 7, and James 4, 10. You have these bookended promises here. Verses 6 and 7 and verse 10. We see that the way to kill pride is to humble ourselves, and God will give grace and exalt us. I mean, isn't that a wonderful promise? It's like chemo. Yeah. Because we have to kill part of ourselves in order for us to live. That's what chemo does. But God guarantees that we will be cured and made glorious. Now, I want to conclude by telling us what humility is not and what humility is. So first, what humility is not. I have on more than one occasion run into Christians who speak really, really harshly about themselves. I knew this man, still know him, who constantly talks badly about himself. He'd come up to me and he'd say things like, Joel, I am vile. I'm a no good sinner. I am a worm. I'm unworthy of God. I'm just going to say, I don't enjoy being around him very much. He kind of weirds me out, <laughs> just to be frank. And I would be constantly thinking of a redirect when he starts going this way. And while I'm the first here to say that I believe in total depravity and I practice it, we must be, yes, repenting of our sins daily, confessing our shame, confessing our whole life, but what this man is doing is not an act of humility. Spending lots of time talking about the bad in ourselves, calling ourselves name, this is not humble. Why? It's as self-absorbed as the person who nonstop talks about how great they are. You see the problem? Because the focus is still on self and not on God and not on others. A passage I would encourage you to look at is actually what James is quoting here. So if you want to write this down, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 to 19 
Isaiah 1, 16 to 19. I'm going to read these verses. This is what James is quoting. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come, now let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Do you see what humility is for James? Why he's quoting Isaiah here? James says, we are to submit ourselves to the Lord. Be willing and obedient. To be willing and obedient. But doing what, James? Yes, ceasing at evil. But also seeking justice for the fatherless. Pleading the widow's cause. Huh, that obedience sounds like the way James ended chapter 1. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This, my friends, is what humility looks like. And as we put into practice, this other interested way of living puts to death the pride that seeks to rule and reign and destroy us. And as I close, I will add that this is actually how we draw near to God. We tend to think that coming to worship and praying, these are ways we draw near to God. Okay, yes and amen to that. But also, we draw near to God when we seek to help His peculiar people. When we seek to help His peculiar people. I sometimes miss the King James. Because, frankly, some of us are peculiar. Some of us are hard to get along with, aren't we? But that's okay. We love and serve each other because we belong to jealous Jesus who died for a peculiar people, who counted us as more significant than himself, took the form of a servant, and in humility died for us and is now raised in glory, waiting for us and cheering us on. So, let's no longer live B.C. lives, rather A.D. lives, who give and receive more grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, your jealousy is not like our self-centered love. We are yours by creation and redemption in Christ. And we marvel at how your heart expresses your productive zeal for us. Since you have sent your son Jesus to serve and save us so that we might worship and enjoy you forever, we pray you help us to do the same for others here in the fellowship by doing justice by loving mercy and walking humbly before you, God. Give us your spirit in new measure and help us to shun anything that would distract us from living pure and holy lives before you. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.